It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hooker Show, a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Objective insight, expertise, top guest. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off the Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Also available on OffTheHookSports.com. I compute and obey. Now to Dave Hooker. Ready. Here we go, a big show on tap, including the one, the only, Jimmy Himes will join us right off the top as he does each and every Wednesday. Well, he did a little uh, homework looking back at the history of how the balls can be great fast, and they've already done that to some extent, but as far as becoming a true championship contender, Jimmy's column is fantastic on offthehooksports.com. It can't happen like this year or next year that Tennessee's really knocking on the door of a championship. So I think you'll enjoy that. Uh, also, just three coaches, all SEC players. I want to get to that. I was a little bit surprised who else should be on there or could be on there. Tennessee's defensive backs rotation. Uh, goodness gracious. We'll dive into that in a little bit. Uh, we talked about that uh, earlier with Jimmy about maybe they're just not very good. Uh, we're also going to predict every game on Tennessee football's 2023 schedule. So I will go ahead and tell you I'm the worst at predicting games in the history of the world. So I hope Caleb's good at it because I think I do some things okay, but that is not one of them. Also, we'll predict the SEC standings. I am decent at that. And if you watch the Netflix thing on the Gators, I'm sorry. You can never get that time back. Because it was a propaganda film uh, to the nth degree. I do want to lead the show off. If you haven't uh, watched the Cooper Mays uh, ball report that is on our YouTube channel. Uh, again, I'm, I'm 
being respectful of the policy of not releasing injury news. But I think if you watch that, it's going to become pretty evident that uh, the timeline of two weeks was incredibly optimistic when that was offered up by Josh Heupel. I'm not going to get into the specifics of the injury, but this is something you have to be sure and get right right now. You do not want this dragging into the season. And I'd mentioned maybe resting until Florida. I, I think that that's a real possibility. That is not anything that Cooper may said. There is just a lot of unknown. And I'll, I'll give you as much info as I can while respecting uh, him and their policy because we appreciate the relationship with Cooper. But I'm just going to tell you that uh, there is a lot of unknown in that camp right now about when he can return. So uh, that's that's pretty uh, unsettling. I know I will say this. I think that Ollie Lane has come on as of late as his replacement. And Addison Nichols just needs to get tougher from somebody within the program. He's got to get tougher. He's the most physically gifted to take over at center. And he is not ready to do that has had some not so great practices lately. Jimmy Himes, the one, the only, he's a hall of famer and any possible hall of fame you can name. As a matter of fact, I sent bios, Caleb, you owe me a bio. I sent by, I, I need bios for the website and Jimmy's man, pretty, pretty darn strong, like five times sports writer of the year. And um, he is fantastic. You know him well, formerly of the sports animal uh, he is uh, retired, but nice enough to join us on Wednesdays. Jimmy, how are you, sir? Dave, I'm doing great. Caleb, how are you doing? Pretty good. How's it going, Jimmy? Good, good. Let's get started with your column, because it seems like the the common notion was, and maybe we got this from coaches, it takes four or five years to rebuild a program. You're, you're not going to be able to do it in two or three years. Now, I know that NIL and the transfer portal has changed that, but really historically that hasn't necessarily been the case. If you've got the right coach. That's exactly right. Cause I went back to look at what uh, Josh Heupel has done. I think what Josh Heupel has done is one of the great turnarounds we've seen in college football over the last 25 years. But, and that factors in the fact that over 40 players left the program between Pruitt's uh, last season and then, uh, Heupel taking over. So you had that attrition. You also had self-imposed 12 scholarships. But for him to take a bunch of guys that were not thought to be that good, cast-offs from a variety of schools, players that were very unproductive at Tennessee, like Cedric Tillman had eight catches in three years, and for him to do what he did with that group and then to win 11 games the next year was phenomenal. But we saw Steve Spurrier go to Florida, and they were not very good when he got there, and he won. Uh, he actually had the best record in the SEC, his first year there, and then he, I think he won like 19 games his first two seasons. Uh, we've seen a lot of coaches. Nick Saban did it two places. He did it at LSU, which was horrible when he got there, and he won the SEC in year two, and then he did it when he got to Alabama. So uh, we have seen a lot of turnarounds. Even Terry Bowden took over an Auburn program. They had consecutive five-win seasons, and Bowden's first year he goes 11-0, and and they're on NCAA probation. So we've seen quick turnarounds. But I think what Heupel has done under the circumstances would match just about any turnaround we've seen over the last 25 or 30 years. Jimmy, I'm with you on that. Uh, I've, I've actually been a very big proponent of you pretty much know whether or not a coach is going to work out by year two. If mm -hmm. they, I, I, everything I've seen of any successful coach, they've, been, they've had one successful year by year two. 
where I want to ask a little bit of concern is that I have, I have seen the other way happen though, where coaches make a big splash their first year and then never replicate it. My, the two that come to mind are Kevin Sumlin in 2012 coming in, winning the, or going 11 and two Heisman winner and Johnny Manziel. And then Gus Malzahn in 2013, he took over a three win Auburn team and won the sec the next year with Nick Marshall. If it, how can we be sure that Josh Heupel is not in danger of going down the route of Malzahn or Sumlin as opposed to well, Spurrier? I'd even throw in Gene Chizik. It might have been year two, but he won a national championship, and then he got fired not long after that. So that here's the big difference. Josh Heupel's smarter than any of those three we've talked about. <laughs> he just is. He is smarter than they are. He's got an offense that works. It worked at um, – uh, when he was at previous stops, it worked at Missouri. He got there at Missouri. They had an awful offense, one of the worst in the SEC. And then they were among the SEC leaders the next two years. It worked at Central Florida. It's worked at Tennessee. People doubted whether or not his system would take fire here. And he did it with a Virginia Tech cast off at quarterback. He did it with a lot of people that, that were not that highly rated. I mentioned Cedric Tillman had eight catches in three years. He turns into an all-SEC player. I think his offense is really good. And I think that he is smart enough to where you might say, well, defenses eventually will catch up to that offense. I think he, I think Heupel's smart enough to stay a step ahead of that. Um, now, and, and also in mentioning those, you mentioned Kevin Sumlin. He had a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. Gene Chizik had a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. So those, they were, they certainly had an advantage with great play from that quarterback position, at least in two of those examples. Jimmy, the, the thing that I look at as far as building a championship program, I'm talking about knocking on the door of, you know, the top four or five programs in the nation each and every year. I would have said just actually before the past couple of weeks, I would have said, I still want to see more in recruiting. I would argue that Jordan Ross, an edge rusher that everybody mm-hmm. wanted a five-star mm-hmm. guy is a sign that the recruiting could get really, really good because with Mike Matthews, he's a receiver. Why wouldn't he want to play at Tennessee? And also the fact that they got Bennett Warren, a four-star uh, offensive lineman out of Texas. When I look at the recruiting end of it, you know, I tend to do that. Um, those are big guy gets. The type of gets that Kirby yeah. Smart, when he went to Georgia, said, you got to get those guys. And Tennessee's yeah. getting them. Yeah, they are. And and here's my theory on that. I may have shared this with you before, but – I think Heupel can take average to above average talent on offense, and he's gonna he's gonna score points. Defensively, you got to have studs. You got to have really good players on defense, in particular when you put your defense in harm's way, like Tennessee's system does. So he has gone out and recruited some really good defensive players. He brought in some in this class. It includes Herring. It includes Carter. There's several others that they brought in. Some really good edge rushers. And so going forward in 2024, he's got some really good defensive players coming in. I think that is the winning edge. It's going to put him in position to, I don't know about win the SEC, but at least contend and, and perhaps be in an SEC championship game. And as we know, getting in an SEC championship game now is hard, will be harder than ever because you're going to take the two best teams. It's not winning the East or West division. They're doing away with that. You've got to be one of the two best teams in the league to get an SEC championship. And every year it seems like Georgia and Alabama is going to have something to say about that. But I, getting back to your question about recruiting, if you go out and get enough studs on defense, which I think they're doing, 
then I think that puts him in position to be a consistent top 10 program. How quickly would Tennessee be at a championship level if you still had a golf or Donnan at Georgia? You had a Brad Scott at <laughs> South Carolina, and you had a Mike Shula at Alabama. I mean, it's tougher than it was in Philip Fulmer's day. I mean, yeah, I, I think Tennessee would be right there in terms of winning the SEC if, if that were the coaching lineup. It would expedite the process, wouldn't it? Because then you're worried about Alabama and you're worried about LSU. And so that would be that would be your two main contenders. Uh, if uh, now if Florida, depending on what coach you had, because you had Spurrier and Urban Meyer, uh, they were pretty darn good at that time. But I think I think Florida though is they're just not very good right now. Will they get it back with Napier? I don't know. He might be a stopgap coach. But yeah, if you if you had those guys at Georgia, uh, yeah, that, that would that would make it a whole lot easier for Tennessee. No question. We refer to Ray Goff a lot of times as drunken Ray Goff because uh, Jeff Coleman on our Celebrate 98 series said he showed up to recruiting at his house hammered. So um, sometimes we'll refer to him as drunken Ray Goff. Just in case I thought that was Mercedes Hamilton who said that. It was Mercedes that said that. I'm sorry, I got the wrong <laughs> But he was intoxicated. <laughs> <laughs> Today's tough question is now, and it deals with some preseason awards that the balls have received, but maybe slotted a bit. Today's tough question. Take a side. Take a stand. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of offthehooksports.com. All right, so three players were named on the coaches' all-SEC team. Brew McCoy on the second team, Javante Spragans and Cooper Mays on the third team. All three were on the media's all-SEC, along with Joe Milton, the third. Who else should be on there? And this is brought to you by Zen Sports, the new sports book in Tennessee, revolutionizing the way you earn sports betting rewards. That means no more deposit bonuses that turn into deposit nightmares on Zen Sports. What you see is what you get. And with their cash rewards program, you get a lot of cash. For a welcome bonus, earn an unlimited 5% cash back on your betting volume for your first 15 days when you sign up with promo code HOOKED, HOOKED, H-O-O-K-E-D. Got to be all caps. I figured that out yesterday. That's right. Unlimited 5% cash back. Keep betting. Keep earning with up to 3% cash back on your betting volume every month after that. And refer friends to earn a percentage of their betting volume as cash rewards, too. Zen Sports bringing the cash back to Tennessee. So if you bet big on sports, you want to be betting on Zen Sports. Zen Sports betting just got better. So... What player would be next in line to get on one of these lists, Jimmy? If you had to pick just one, then we'll dive a little bit deeper into some more. Well, with apologies to Caleb, I'm going to go with Aaron Beasley because he was terrific against Clemson, a game that shouldn't have counted. I understand that. The Orange Bowl never happened. Tennessee's record was actually 10-2. and I get that. But I'm going to go Aaron Beasley. I I thought he was terrific against Clemson. He played his natural position of weak side linebacker. They've got now Keenan Peely to play in the middle. It's going to free Beasley to pl- to make more plays, to make more tackles, to make more sacks. I th- And I had him on my all-SEC team, maybe second or third team with Lindy's. But he would he was very strong on my list. I got two others if you want me to share them now. or No, go for it. Go for it. Omari Thomas, defensive tackle. I think he's a really good football player. He is going to help Tennessee's pass rush. He may not have a lot of sacks but he's going to apply interior pressure. He's going to force the quarterback out of the pocket with his inside rush. And when the quarterback has to escape the pocket, there might be somebody else there to make the sack. But I think Thomas is a really good pass rusher 
really good run stopper. I think he is overlooked. He's gotten better and better and better. I would have him on there. I think I had him second team. Here's the other one that I like. Now, I realize that the distribution of carries could impact him. Jalen Wright, I like him a lot. I think he was their best running back last year. He gained over 800 yards. I think he's going to be a 1,000-yard rusher this year. I think Jabari Small is going to get hurt because he does every year, and I think that's going to be more carries for Jalen Wright. So I think he's going to be over 1,000 yards. I'm not saying first or second team, but third team. I, th- I think he'll be one of the five or six best running backs in the SEC this year. Caleb, what about you? If you were to pick one, two, or three that should, could be on this list, who would it be? Aaron Beasley, come on, Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I'm with Jimmy Onamari, though, but nope. Next time I'm Aaron Beasley because uh, I think Aaron Carter might become a bigger star than Aaron Beasley by the middle of this year at linebacker. Oh, okay. I've been saying that for a while. It's And I, I keep putting – Dave knows I keep talking about this guy. But, Jimmy, I think I still think it's got to be Tyler Barron. I think Tyler Barron, mm-hmm. now is the time to step up. He lost his starting job to Byron Young two years ago, even though he was a highly touted recruit. He didn't hit the transfer portal. Came back, was a rotational player last year alongside Roman Harrison. Byron Young is gone. Tyler Barron should be a superstar edge rusher in, in the SEC. And so I, I kind of consider it almost shameful for him if he's not an all-SEC player to a certain degree. So I'm high on Tyler Barron. I would have put Squirrel White on there. I think Squirrel White is just going to rack up yards on yards on yards. And here's a crazy one, guys. What about D. Williams as a punt returner? As a return specialist. Got possibility. Um, yeah, I, I like how you say squirrel wide. It's it's almost like he hasn't done enough to get into the season, but Jimmy and I, you've you and I've talked. He he could have a monster season and be a lock for this list at the end of the year. Dave, what was his best game last year? It was Clemson. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think Squirrel White is – here's the thing about Squirrel White. He, I, I think he's going to have a big year. I think his yards per catch is going to make a lot of big plays. Uh, I think Brew McCoy is going to overshadow him. I think McCoy is going to end up with more catches, more yards, more touchdowns. But I think Squirrel White is going to have these games where he's going to pop off some 40-yard catches and, and he's going to be impressive. Here's the other thing about Squirrel White. He is so quick. He can take – that bubble screen or an inside pass or a little quick screen, and he can take a four or five yard gain and turn it into 20 or 25. He's that quick. He's that elusive. The first guy's going to have a lot of difficulty stopping him. I think Squirrel White's going to be Tennessee's second best receiver behind Brew McCoy. I could see that. Any other dark horse guys that, that shouldn't be on this list right now that could take the major leap and, and be on it by the end of the year? I, I'll pick one guy. That if it clicks, and that's a big if, I think is maybe the most physically talented big guy, Elijah Simmons. Now, I think he, it's got to click. For whatever reason, upstairs it hasn't clicked. Uh, I would take that. Any other dark horse guys from, from either of you that have to take a big step to get there don't deserve to be there yet, but might be at the end of the year? Jacob Warren. Oh, absolutely. What if Jacob Warren has a 40-catch season? Oh. What if he is used as versatile as Tennessee did with Princeton Fant, where Prant, Fant caught touchdown pass, ran for touchdown, threw a touchdown? I did ask, I did ask Warren at the uh, SEC Football Media Days about his uh, arm, and he said, I, I can throw a spiral. So um, I think he's up for the task of being used in a versatile way like Fant. So that was, that's one. Here's another guy, and there's a lot of unknown about him, but all I've heard are great things out of camp. Keenan Peely at linebacker. 
Mm-hmm. May, he may be a guy that racks up 100 tackles at that position. He's 25 years old. He's married. He's mature. He's been around a long time. He's, been, he's shown a lot of leadership. He's taken to the system very well. I think he's a guy to watch for. By the end of the year, we might be talking about him as an All-SEC candidate. Yeah, and I would um, I would add a guy that's not going to make the list because I don't think he's going to have enough touches. But Dylan Sampson, I think, will be that type of – a player for Tennessee this year, but he's not, I don't think he's going to get enough touches to get real consideration for postseason awards. Caleb. Jimmy. All right. Yes. Tough one for you. Somebody from the secondary, you have to pick as a potential all sec caliber player. Oh, who would it be? None. <laughs> That's not an answer. You got to name one. You got to name one. Joe Nunn. Um, <laughs> Where's double, where's double zero on your program, but he's number one in your heart. Yeah, yeah. he's, he's a fi- he got a five star heart. Uh, gosh, I'm sitting there looking at <laughs> oh, his reference. <laughs> so, um, the guy that, well, he's in a little bit of. I don't know if he's even going to start the first game. Uh, I can't go Jalen McCullough. I, I don't think Camille had. I tell you what, I'm I'm going to go with another transfer, and I, I can't. I think his name is Judy Lila. Gabe Judy Lawley, yeah. Judy Lally, Lally. Lally. Yeah. yeah. Went to Vanderbilt, then Brigham Young, and he's at Tennessee. He's, he's had a nice camp, unless he's really good. I, I just don't see – now, I'll say this. Maybe it's Danico Slaughter. Maybe he comes out and has a big year. I think Tamarian McDonald, <clears throat> playing the star position, took to that position last year and did a good job. So, I don't know. McDonald, maybe McDonald is the best defensive back they've got playing the star position. I'll go McDonald. I'm going to stick with – I like Danico Slaughter, and it's purely based off flashes. And I yeah. realize I'm in the minority, but I've seen little flashes of Twitch that I just I, – I think that he could be really good and not just kind of good, but really good. Now, he's got he's to prove it, and he hasn't to this point <clears> – <throat> pardon me – on a consistent basis, but – I guess I'm going to stay on that bandwagon. You mentioned Gabe Judy Lawley. The thing I loved about him, I don't know if you saw this quote when he started the season. He was like, I'm showing up. I don't care if I start. I don't care what position I play. I just want to win. And that culture Mm -hmm. is something that he came into and appreciated at Tennessee. So I I thought that was an incredibly selfless statement to transfer. You're, you've got to be yeah. thinking about the NFL to say, I don't even care if I start. Jimmy, that was pretty strong. Yeah, it is pretty strong. And it shows that they've got a good team player, and it shows that he's buying into the culture at Tennessee as well, which, by the way, I think the culture is outstanding over there, what Josh Heupel has been able to do. Uh, they they need him to be really good. Okay, let's face it. They, I, I was talking to somebody the other day about, well, the secondary has a lot of depth. Okay, they had a lot of depth last year. There's a difference in depth and quality depth. Tennessee just had a bunch of players that did not have very good years. And that included a guy that I thought would be a good player for him, Jalen McCullough. I didn't think he played that well. Uh, Haddon, Turnage, some of those guys, every now and then they would flash. Now, you mentioned Slaughter. To me, Slaughter, he is a a hard hitter. Uh, I like like his tackling ability. Uh, I think his ball skills could improve a little bit. Uh, I think that's probably a pretty good pick as far as a potential of somebody that could break out and have a good year for Tennessee in the secondary. Well, let's go ahead and get to it. What will the Vols' defensive back rotation look like? So we have a rough idea now that preseason camp is over. They call it 
over the week before. I'm, I'm not sure why, but that's what they did with Josh Heupel. So, I mean, they're still going to practice a couple of days this week. It's not like they take a you know week break and go down to Panama City. But how do you think the defensive back rotation will look right now when they run out on the field in Nashville against Virginia? McDonald will be at the star position. I think Judy Lally will be at one of the cornerback positions. I'm going to go Haddon at the other cornerback, although I'm a little bit concerned about that. Jalen McCullough at safety if he's there. A guy, and then Slaughter. Slaughter will be there. Uh, it, uh, he should be one of the other corners. I should have mentioned him instead of uh, 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 Haddon or Turnage. The other safety I think is going to be right. Uh, Walker, I'm sorry, Wesley Walker, Walker. Walker. I think Walker will be the other safety. Uh, there are a couple other guys that could work in. I, I tell you, a guy that I liked in practice, and I'm not sure where he stands. I I was just looking at Phil Steele's depth chart, and he listed 20 defensive backs at Tennessee. He didn't have Christian Charles. I think Christian Charles is one of their more talented players. Now, another guy that could step up. I didn't think he played that well two years ago. He was out last year. Is Warren Burrell? Burrell's a guy that's got some starting experience. Maybe he's made that step. Maybe he's improved in the secondary. Uh, he's a guy that could see some snaps. But I'll say this. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they play eight or nine defensive backs in the first game just trying to figure it out. That's a great point. And eight's a lot. You better figure it, it out by the time you get into yeah. SEC play. Yes. Well, guys, I'm going to just jump in. And, Jimmy, you're closer to the program than I am. So, I, I – I, take everything you say as gospel to a certain degree on this. So I do trust you, but I will say that I think Jordan Matthews is going to be a freshman who steals a starting job at cornerback at some mm-hmm. point later this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you, do you think one of the problems with Burrell or with some of these other cornerbacks, the reason they look so good, they're not good, but the reason they looked better in 2021 than 2022 was because there was no number one cornerback to guard the number one receiver. So they were all rotating, guarding the number two receiver in 2021. And with Alante Taylor gone, there was just nobody to replace a lot that could actually handle high caliber receivers. Do you think that's kind of the big problem with Tennessee at cornerback right now? Yeah, I, I do. I think Taylor really helped them in that regard. I think that's a good point. And, and, and I'll say this, um, I, I, I wonder about their confidence level a little bit. I wonder about those guys. I think when you get burned enough times uh, that you uh, you start to wonder whether you can guard anybody. Uh, so I, I don't know. Uh, I think they haven't. I think they've got some guys with talent. I'm gonna mention one other name of a guy that I've heard a lot of good things about. We haven't talked about him. Whether he can start or not, I don't know. But uh, Jordan Thomas, uh, he's a guy that they're pretty high on. So watch for him to get some playing time. If not, eventually become a starter. Uh, the Matthews pick is. is I think he's. I think he's the best freshman that they brought in, so he might end up uh, winning a job. Um, some of these guys in the secondary have scars, and sometimes they've had difficulty overcoming those scars. The scars are still there. Matthews doesn't. So maybe he comes in a little more fresh and maybe has a more confident mindset. But I, I think that um, they they don't have a number one cornerback that can go down there and shut anybody down. And and I think that that's that's been a problem. And here's the thing, too. When I watched them play zone defense, I thought they were horrible. Uh, but they're not really good in man either. So I, I don't know what they're going to do back there. I think it's going to be a challenge for um, for Willie Martinez. That's that's really interesting you say scars. So players that have not, – not literal scars, but players that have had bad things happen to them yeah. in the past. And I do wonder about the mindset. You know, if, if there's two positions that you can't go out there doubting yourself, it's corner and quarter – 
back end. Yeah. If, if you've got that from the get, you're just not going to win a lot of battles. Let's get to four downs, and it's brought to you by Andy Mason, andymasonrealestate.com, as we look at Tennessee's defensive back rotation heading into almost game week. How is this just uh, the middle of the week? we got to get rolling here. Four downs. Four questions. Four answers. The Dave Hooker Show. Four. Four. Four downs. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. So we kind of answered some of these, but uh, let's get final say from both Caleb Calhoun and Jimmy Himes, which we're so excited. Uh, the fact that he will join us each and every Wednesday and he'll uh, write and he's incredible at uh, writing and bringing out some great points. And you should check out his column on why Tennessee can turn things around and be a well, they have turned things around, be a championship contender pretty soon. But let's go ahead and get to four downs. It's brought to you by Andy Mason, andymasonrealestate.com. Best prices and service in the biz. Andy Mason, realestate.com. He's my realtor, has been since I was 24. He should be yours. So let's get to four downs and shout out to Coop. What down is it, Coop? Coop here. First down. Thank you, Cooper. Most improved defensive back, Jimmy, this year will be? Oh, I'm going to go Danico Slaughter. How about that? Okay. I'm going yeah. Danico Slaughter, too. Most improved. Yeah. What about you, Caleb? I'm going Wesley Walker. Yeah, y'all don't. Uh, but is this improved? You, I don't know if you know this, Jimmy. He was the high. He's the highest graded, PFF graded returning safety in the SEC. Wesley Walker is what? Yes, <laughs> yes. He has the highest PFF grade of any returning safety in the SEC. Okay, and who who judged that? Who graded that? They, asked me, they asked me to do a freelance. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was it was pro football uh, focus, and basically what they brought up was. We underrated it because Trey Flowers played so banged up towards the end of last year. We know his situation. Yeah. They use Wesley Walker a lot more. And he apparently got much more productive down the stretch of last season. And we just none of us noticed it. I, I think I know the answer to second down. That was an interesting note. I didn't know that about Wesley Walker. Uh, what down, yeah, what down is it, Coop? Cooper Mays here. Second down. Thank you. Sounds so happy to bring, bring us in on second down, doesn't he? And, by the way, centers don't handle – snap counts but it's just funny um the best newcomer will be we we mentioned jordan matthews is one gave judy lolly but if you had to pick just one jimmy let me start with you gosh i, I feel like i might be stealing some uh of caleb's thunder because i really like Aaron carter i think oh i was just talking i'm sorry just defensive backs my fault oh defensive backs i'm sorry defensive back a newcomer yes judy lolly Judy Lawley. Caleb, you want Judy Lawley? I'm still sticking with Jordan Matthews. I'm high on that Louisiana kid. I hear I'm you. I'm high on Louisiana kids, too. Yeah. <laughs> How in the world did they get him out of Louisiana, by the way, which is the toughest state to recruit in if the in-state – and I'll say this till the day I die. If the in-state team wants you, it's the toughest state to get a kid out of. Um, you can take Ohio State, you can take Miami, uh, other places that have great talent, Georgia. But the toughest place, in my opinion, to get a kid out of, if the school wants you, is the state of Louisiana and LSU. How do they get that cat? I don't know. I'm not sure how they got him. I, um, I give them credit for being able to. Every now and then you'll find somebody in the state who's got a tie to Tennessee or some uncle or parent or whatever went to UT or is from Nashville. 
I, I don't know what ties there were to get Jordan Matthews here. Uh, he is a really good player, and he's a guy that I expect to play a lot this year, but I, I don't know how they got him. I think it's hey, the biggest Denver. recruiting get in Tennessee football history was a Louisiana kid. So Peyton Manning? Yes. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say Jansen Jackson. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Off topic there. Uh, all right. What down is it, Coop? Tennessee center Cooper Mays here. Third down. I think the words routing number might have helped Jordan Matthews get to Tennessee. But um, do we give the linebackers too much of a pass, Jimmy? And, and Caleb brought this up to me last year in the second level of – pass coverage because we always point to the defensive backs, but there have been times where I thought Jeremy Banks and maybe a little Aaron Beasley last year looked a little bit out of sorts in pass coverage. Jeremy Banks was not good in pass coverage. He was a good tackler. He was good in run defense. He was not good in pass coverage at all. And and I think Beasley was playing out of position, uh, which is why he wasn't as productive as he could have been. Uh, do linebackers play a role in it? Yes, they do. And, and if your linebackers can't cover, in particular, some of the short intermediate routes, then then you got a problem overall with your secondary. So, yes, the linebackers do play a role in it, uh, certainly as does a pass rush. That helps as well. Caleb, I already know your answer to that because it was very insightful and you brought that up last year. So, well, let's get to fourth down, Coop. All SEC center Cooper Mays here, fourth down. All right. Will Tennessee – be in the top half of the SEC in pass defense, which I know we can lean on that number way too much, but they've been 14 and 12 in the past two years, respectively. Will they be in the top half of the SEC in pass defense? Jimmy? Oh, no. (laughs) No, they won't be. Uh, And there are a couple of reasons why. Tennessee is one of the, best in the nation and scoring points in the first quarter. Typically they get a lead and that forces you to throw the football and that allows teams to rack up more yards passing. A lot of it is garbage yards in the second half, but that's one factor. Here's the other factor too. Uh, Tennessee, uh, well, I'm not going to get into the defensive backs need improvement. No question about that. But here's the other factor. Tennessee last year, in many respects, sold out to stop the run. We are not going to let you run the football. And they put their defensive backs on an island quite a bit because they wanted to shut down the run. They were in the top five in the SEC in run defense last year. May have been top three. Uh, it's the best run defense they've had in a long time. So they sell out to stop the run. They usually get a lead. Other opponents are going to throw the football a lot. Tennessee will not be in the top half in pass defense. Caleb, if they're eight, is that good? Which wouldn't be top half. Everything Jimmy Hyam said is right, and it's what I said, and I think that it's why I said the defense was underrated last year, not the past defense. But this defense could have Deion Grant, Dwayne Goodrich, our boy Fred White. We love him. Our guy Fred, our man Fred, we love him a lot. But they could have that 1998 defense, and the past defense would not be top half in the SEC in this scheme and in this system. And the reason is it's very much like Jimmy said, with you get a lead in the first quarter, so there's a lot of garbage time. On top of that, there's a lot of possessions. You know, teams playing Tennessee are going to have, what would you say, maybe four more offensive possessions than they typically have in a game because Tennessee scores so fast and so quickly that I think they're just playing a lot more on the field. And as a matter of fact, I said this, again, they were in the bottom half in scoring defense and total defense last year. They were number 14 in points given up per play, though. 
they're very, very underrated overall. So yeah, I, I, I think they'll be in the bottom half. I don't think it matters though. Even if they were elite, they'd be in the bottom half. Well, here's the thing about last year's defense, in my opinion. So they had 13 games. They were bad in three games on defense. Only three, in my opinion, bad. They won two of them. They beat Alabama, and they beat Florida. They gave up 586 yards, and Anthony Richardson had a career game, and they beat Florida and Alabama. The other games, they were either uh, average to, to pretty good. Now, you say, well, Georgia scored 27 points. Okay, I get that, and they took their foot off the pedal, I, and I understand that. But that I can't call that a bad game. So, to me, they only had three bad games. If they can limit it to three bad games this year, they'll be fine. Jimmy, I know you got a grandson in the house today. Yes. Go go enjoy him and your family. And uh, I love the fact that, yes, you're retired, but maybe semi-retired because we get to work with you. So, uh, thanks again. We will talk to you Thank next you. week, and we look forward to uh, whatever else you, you put on offthehooksports.com because it's always thought-provoking and, and great stuff. Thank you so much for being a part of what we do. Dave, I appreciate it. Caleb, I appreciate it. You guys have a great day. Gosh, I love that guy, Jimmy Himes. Man, he is the absolute best. We're going to predict where Tennessee finishes in the SEC up next, and I might surprise you just a little bit. Two minutes off the hook. Sports, Caleb Calhoun and me, Dave Booker. Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We are grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler, a title that we value and respect. Because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry. I'm a jeweler. And we want to be your jeweler. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street right next to the Tennessee Theater. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. These mountains hold and defend a spirit far better than moonshine a drink that holds flavor that becomes necessity a hard cider made and relished by folk who are as hearty as they are legend a refreshment that can only be found in one place with a taste that makes you say give me three bottles of the good stuff tennessee cider company where necessity can be found it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, who's this guy? Hello, wizard. The Dave Hooker Show, Ooh. a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. What? YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. Back to Dave Hooker. So I'll just be real honest with you. I'm kind of window dressing on this thing. Caleb Calhoun is the one who comes up with the great SEO titles. He's the one who cuts stuff up. So really, he's he's the he's the motor in this race car. I'm maybe the paint job. And I know in our SEO title that we're supposed to talk about the uh, Florida Swamp Kings thing, but it was so bad. We still have to. <laughs> it was so bad. So bad. We'll go into it. I, I will talk about some of the positives, and to be fair, but it was terrible. I knew, it was I knew terrible. three minutes going in, and I was like, uh-oh, I've set aside this time. And I thought it was just going to be released one by one. Wouldn't you love to see uh, Tennessee do something like that about the 98 team? And by the way, so they're calling – not to get off on a tangent – but and I understand you want to move forward and you want to promote Josh Heupel and what they're doing and I, all of that. But they released the schedule of the homecoming game and the champions weekend. The champions weekend. This is not a celebration of the 97 SEC championship game, which is going to be the South Carolina game. This should be a straight up celebration about the 98 team. End of discussion. Because that's the only time that's happened. And what, do the math for me, roughly 75 years. It was 47 years before that. That's the uh, 72 years. 72 years. It should be. They claim 67. 67 hangs in the banners at Neyland Stadium as a national championship. Yeah, but those dudes are all dead. So they're not going to show up. So, um, (laughs) I mean, I know for a fact that a lot of those guys on the 98 team are going to kind of do their own weekend on the A&M weekend. And calling it Champions Weekend, they can't call it Celebrate 98 because I own the trademark of that. But they, it should just be 98 something. Come up with something clever. It's it's all 98. It's not the Champions Weekend. Right, because this is like Champions Weekend. You could have the 85 team show up at an anniversary or the 97 team show up for an anniversary or the 89 team show up or the 90 team. But like 98 should take a stand above all of I them. agree. And I don't even think there there should be something different about. Yeah, them. and I don't even think they're inviting all those other ones. Uh, so anyway, uh, we're going to have coverage of the real thing at Texas uh, A and M. They're going to do it for the Texas A and M game. The the real. And by the way, I'm just going to say this publicly. You know who came up with VFL instead of Derek Dooley? It was Fred White and the crew, and they would have the VFL get together. And a guy named Chuck Smith, who played defensive end for Tennessee, came over after a game and said that VFL thing's really cool. Told Derek Dooley, and Derek Dooley stole it. And I told you that story yet. That was they, they were not the yeah they were VFL tailgaters, and they stole. It. Okay, this is funny you say that because I feel very comfortable saying this now because Fred because Fred said it on the show. You weren't there. Me and Fred were doing the show just together one day. I think you were off. Okay. And Fred had no problem taking a side swipe at Dooley about not recruiting Von Bell, I think. Then he just straight up said, yeah, I don't like Derek Dooley. I'll, I'll, I'll say that publicly. I don't like him. <laughs> and I wonder if that's part of it. Why. The, the, I've got a bunch of good, funny recruiting stories. But the one that was most bizarre is when Von Bell had – it wasn't his commitment, but maybe he was playing basketball or something. Anyway, every single recruiting reporter drove down and interviewed him. 
And he said, and the schools he, I think it was Alabama was one of the schools he liked. Correct me if, if I'm wrong. But he said, I said, what three schools are your favorite growing up? He goes, Alabama, Ohio State, and I guess Tennessee. And it was so easy to read into it. They're not recruiting you. And you're an hour and a half down the road. And you're a five-star safety. And Derek Dooley has not shown up for one, not one of your high school games. Why? Because I was told by somebody in Tennessee's recruiting office, he did not go to one high school game his entire time at Tennessee. Does that not blow your mind? I've I've heard that too. Well, Derek was one of, the, and he acknowledged this. To be fair to him, he acknowledged it like he would wait to like test out their measurables when they would do those all season camps, and that's how he would evaluate them. And but I'm with you. It's like no, you still need to show up to the high school game just to be able to recruit them well. Now I'm wondering, like, now you could tell me, did he ever really have a chance with Jalen Ramsey? I don't know if he ever had a shot with Jalen Ramsey. No, Jalen. Jalen, to his credit, and Jalen, I think has some character flaws, but Jalen realized that he was kind of a doofus pretty early. And yeah, I don't think he ever had a shot at Jalen Ramsey. By the way, I discovered Jalen Ramsey. I was I was the first guy to ever interview him because uh, his coach said, Look at you. he said, you need to talk to this guy. And I was like, I'm here to interview Max Staver, who is like a six foot six, 260 pound quarterback who signed with Florida and never played because literally Caleb and I have better quickness and better feet than that guy did. No exaggeration. When he dropped back, he stopped. By the way, before we get to our predictions, are the the days of Peyton Manning and guys like Dan Marino, are they over? Do you have to be mobile now, both in the college and NFL level? Or if Peyton Manning shows up right now, does he still have elite success? I think he's still I think he still is fine. Tom Brady was still good the last two or three years he played. Tom Brady, um uh Matthew Stafford won a Super Bowl two years ago. I think here's why I think coaches are going more the mobile route you don't it's you're let when you have a mobile quarterback if you're a coach that allows you more freedom to call plays yourself however i think that in terms of so so i think quarterbacks now yes they're more mobile but i think they know a little a lot less about the nuances of of throwing from the pocket so it's a lot easier to evaluate i I don't think the pro style offense is as complex as it was 20 years ago and now maybe you could no, I agree with that. Uh, but let me ask you this. It's definitely changed. I think you would agree with this. It's changed from, I don't really want a running quarterback 20 years ago. You didn't. To, you better be able to move on a significant level. And Peyton really couldn't. And neither could Dan Marino. Yeah, I still think that could work. The, the, the thing that worked for Peyton, or definitely Marino actually pioneered this, but definitely Peyton and Montana actually even had this too, was the release. You just have to think quickly. If you get Peyton Manning, everybody talked about his great offensive line. I don't think he had that great of a line for his career. I actually think that Peyton just, he was so quick thinking after he snapped it that he got rid of the ball within two seconds and it didn't really matter. And so I I think that's where Peyton, that's where you could get still a drop back passer. That's why I think Graham Mertz is going to be a disaster at Florida. I don't think he's, he's not a Peyton Manning get rid of the ball in two seconds type of guy. I remember to give you an example, I'll get the, just a quick story. Do you remember that t- 2011 LSU Alabama game in the national title when Alabama just blew them out after LSU had won in the regular, yes. regular, the regular yes. season. It's the biggest defense I'll ever give of less miles. LSU fans are trying to blame him for not putting Jared Lee in the game instead of and sticking with Jordan Jefferson. Now, Dave, you saw that Alabama defense and you saw Jared Lee play. 
There is absolutely no way Jared Lee would have done any better against that Alabama defense and Jordan Jefferson because Jared Lee had no mobility. And I will never forget an LSU fan I know coming to me and said, yeah, but you know, there are dropback passers that don't need mobility. Look at Peyton Manning. I'm like, yeah, Jared Lee is going to think as quick as Peyton Manning on his feet. <laughs> I mean, this, let me throw this at you. Peyton Manning would find a way to win, but guys like Bryce Young, maybe even Jalen Hurts, guys with mobility might go above him in the draft. Yeah, so, right. He would find a way to win, this, right? If the draft, again, were held this year, Ryan Leaf would go ahead of Peyton Manning. No questions asked. But he was kind of a statue guy, too. I, I mean, I, I'm talking about the really Ooh, mobile. He, but he had a gigantic – no, he was mobile. He was – he wasn't like – he couldn't – he wasn't like a runner, but he could move better than Peyton in the pocket, and he had a gigantic arm. And coaches are in love with gigantic arms. Josh Heupel would start Ryan Leaf over Peyton Manning. He would. Like – I'm not going to necessarily argue with that. Um, all right, here we go. So it's time for our predictions. So we put our predictions on offthehooksports.com. We're going to tell you exactly what Tennessee is going to do this year. So you don't even need to watch the season, but you just need to be a part of Off the Hook Sports. And we're live every weekday at 10 a.m. So it's that simple. So how do we want to break this down as far as our predictions? And it'll be Hank Kingsley, if I agree with you. Hey, now. Or it'll be Tracy Morgan if I disagree. That's crazy. And if you're really off base, it might be. You suck. Yeah, Got from Happy Gilmore. So, by the way, how was he allowed to do that and not thrown off the golf course? I don't know. Cinemason. I don't know. I to, like, one time going it's... to a golf event, I went to the Knoxville Open, and me and my buddy didn't have anything better to do. Didn't understand what was going on, so we just laid down in a sand pit, took our shirts off, and got some sun. And then suddenly the ball was hit into the sand pit and everybody started coming our way. So we had to run away. That's all I know. About. Oh my God. All I know about watching golf. I was 18 and got passes. Well, I know, en- I don't watch it either, but I know enough that you're not allowed to heckle the golfers as they're playing. It's not like other sports. You can't heckle them. Like you're told to be quiet. Yes. Which don't get me and Jimmy started on that because I think you should be able to cheer the whole time and people would get used to it. But that, anyway. I think it'd make golf more fun. All right, here we go. Predictions. So how do you want to break this down, Caleb? You take the lead. You've got my predictions, and I'm going to uh, let you lead off. So we're going game by game in our predictions, and we're going to determine who's right and wrong, and we're going to keep track of this, and I will be able to show, Caleb, what a great predictor of wins and losses I am. I'm really not. Predicting every game on Tennessee's football schedule. Let's start out with Virginia. Who you got winning that football game now that Tony Elliott has given the balls some uh, bulletin board material because apparently he was going to be hired to be not only the head coach, but the athletic director and the president of the university. (laughs) And that's not the case. Tennessee's going to win that game, right? Yes, Tennessee's going to win that game. Austin (laughs) P. It's a real tough one. Hey now. They're going to win. Trying game. to figure that They're out. Win <laughs> Florida. We're both wins, but I think Tennessee is going to struggle because it's a night game on the road. And you, you enlighten me on this practicing in the morning works against Tennessee during that, in that situation. Totally agree. Totally agree. It's your body clock. I saw it on the flip side for a lot of years when Tennessee practiced in the afternoon, they hated noon games. They did not want to play noon games. But I think Tennessee does get the win. Hey, now. All right. You take me through the rest of the schedule. All right. Uh, one of the toughest games on their schedule, funny enough. 
UTSA, the Roadrunners. By the way, my high school was the Roadrunners. And my, my rival was- high school was the Roadrunners, Austin East. Um, I, really? Yeah, I think Tennessee wins wins that game, but that's not going to be like an Austin P showing up. That's not an easy one, but I got Tennessee winning that game. You? Yeah, yeah. I got them winning fairly comfortably. All right. Who's up next? South Carolina. Hey now. I, I think that's a big time revenge game. I think Tennessee wins that game easily. I I do too. I think Tennessee absolutely blows them out of the water. I think Tennessee is helped by the fact that and when we get to our SEC standings next, we'll I will explain this. But they're helped by the fact that South Carolina has a horrible offensive coordinator. But um, yeah, I think Tennessee is going to blow them out. So these are like the two tough ones that like, so there's South Carolina and then there's Texas A&M right after that. This is the one that I struggled with a little bit. And my picks, I'm going to go ahead and tell you are going to be boring, but I'm going to explain why. So I'm, I'm taking uh, Tennessee to win this. And here's the one reason why it, it ended up being not as difficult as it was initially. And that's because they have an off weekend to prepare for A&M. So I take Tennessee to beat the Aggies, but probably in a closer game than you might think in Neyland Stadium. You? Yep, I think Tennessee beats the Aggies. I think Texas A&M is going to be demoralized after losing to Alabama the week before. And because they're demoralized, Tennessee is going to catch them and just absolutely beat the brakes off them. A&M's one of the toughest picks, I think, on Tennessee's schedule, and I agree with you. I think Tennessee wins the game. Hey, now. But the reason it's difficult, if Bobby Petrino is able to provide some sort of structure to that offense and structure to that program, then suddenly they could be they could be better than we think. On the flip side, if he and Jimbo Fisher, kind of like the Dave Clawson hire that Philip Fulmer made at offensive coordinator, if they don't see offense the exact same way, and only they know that as of mid to late August, then they could go south and be a bad team that comes to Neyland Stadium. I don't think they'll be just kind of in the middle for some reason. I think it's either going to go south or they're going to be better than we think. I agree, and that's why I have them going south. And, Dave, one of the things we forget about this is even if they're meshed X's and O's wise, you and I know, we know Jimbo Fisher was forced to hire Bobby Petrino and he didn't want to hire him. He did not want an offensive coordinator. How that's going to seep through to the players. I don't like to do the whole, you know, how you are, where your mentality is for a game. But this is one of those where if you're a player, how can you mentally get yourself to play hard for these coaches when these coaches are at odds with each other? If they are, if they are. And I I think there's, I think they're at odds. I think, I think Jimbo Fisher is like, I don't even care. No, I think he's about ready to do an Ed Orgeron and ride off into the sunset. Um, Alabama guys be disappointed with me if you want you can go ahead and say this you suck yeah i think that's a revenge game for alabama i think that uh, alabama wins that game um but i think it's very close and it wouldn't stun me at all with the fact that they're going back to a ball control offense if tennessee makes a couple of big plays in the second half or first or fourth quarter and ends up winning the game would not surprise me um, in my mind, this is a 60-40% chance Alabama wins the game. It's very close. Um, so, But I've, I've got Tennessee uh, slipping up against Alabama. Yeah, I'm with you. Tennessee's going to lose to Alabama. And even though Alabama plays more ball control, I think what's going to happen this year, I think last year Alabama got caught kind of relying on Bryce Young 
to bail them out. And they, the, a lot of the other players who could have stepped up didn't. And I don't think you're going to see that this year. I think the same thing happened with 97 Tennessee, by the way. I think 97 Tennessee was better than 98 Tennessee. But I think 97 Tennessee, a lot of elite players were content to kind of let Peyton Manning carry them and bail them out when necessary. And then when 98 came and they realized they have to step up, they did a lot better. And then you saw it even more when Jamal Lewis went down. The rest of the offense was like, oh, we really got to step up. And I think you're going to see that with Alabama. Yep. Uh, Kentucky. Now, this is one of those games. I'm going to ask you at the end which win you pick for Tennessee that you don't feel great about. Kentucky is in Lexington. Alabama is going back to this ball control offense. They're always physical, but you would think they would want to be even more physical than they were last year when they were more of a spread look and have been since Lane Kiffin. I think this is a very challenging football game and not a gimme at all. I could see Tennessee being just a three, three and a half point favorite, maybe two and a half point favorite. Uh, all lines brought to you by Zen Sports, as I predict ahead. Uh, use the promo code HOOKED to get more cash back. But Kentucky at Lexington, October the 28th. Who are you picking here? I'm picking Tennessee, but we're going to go back over the ones I don't feel incredibly confident about, and this would be one. Yeah, I'm picking Tennessee, and I'm right where you are. Kentucky, not only is the game in Lexington, Kentucky's coming off a bye that week, and Tennessee might be coming off a hangover at Alabama. We don't know. I think what's going to help is there was a lot of talk last year about it. And look, I thought Tennessee was in danger of struggling with Kentucky last year. I think what they did that was smart was that's when they brought up the black uniforms and the whole house. They, they found ways to keep the players motivated because Georgia was the next week. And I thought I actually thought Tennessee was in danger of looking ahead of Kentucky to Georgia. They found little gimmicks to keep them motivated and focused for the Kentucky game. Being at Kentucky this year, I think – the flow of the season up to that point will have the players conditioned to take Kentucky seriously because I think Kentucky is going to be good, really good leading up to that point. I think Tennessee will have refocused having lost to Alabama, realizing they still have a lot to play for. They don't have to look ahead to anything because of the next game that we're going to get to. So I think because of that, they beat Kentucky. Yep. UConn next game win. Agreed. Hey now. Win. Yep. Uh, yep. Missouri that's in Columbia. Um, you know how what I think about Missouri, and Missouri fans now know what I think about Missouri. Uh, <clears throat> so maybe as much with my heart as my head, I just don't like that program. I got Tennessee winning. Hey now, jo- I got Josh Heupel winning. Josh Heupel is never going to let anybody ever overlook Missouri. He wanted that Missouri job badly in twenty twenty in twenty twenty, and they gave it to Eli Drinkwitz. And so yeah, Josh Heupel is not going to let him, but. At Missouri with Georgia a week later, Missouri was very dangerous last year, and they have everybody back to quote Lee Corso closer than the experts think. Mm, okay, now what? <clears throat> what about Georgia? Is that closer the following week than what the experts think? I've I've got Tennessee losing that game, but I haven't seen Carson Beck in action, so um i'm i'm not down on tennessee in that game i just uh, would have to pick georgia at this point based off what they've done but my prediction could change by the end of september tennessee is going to win that game whoa look hey at now. him look at him hey now. tennessee is beating georgia and i will tell you guys why I'm right now i'm your huckleberry all right why why tell me Georgia, we saw this last year, was the most go-through-the-motions undefeated team I have ever seen play football. I mean, it was one of those where they didn't – it didn't seem like they wanted to play every week. 
to quote a former president, I think they're getting sick of winning, which happens to some teams sometimes. And they're going to get sick of winning throughout this season because they're going to beat everybody on their schedule in September and October because they'll fall out of bed and beat every team by 20 points. November's going to come. They got Ole Miss the week before Tennessee. I think if Tennessee doesn't beat them, Ole Miss could. So don't sleep on Ole Miss potentially beating Georgia. But going to Knoxville, Tennessee with the SEC East on the line, Georgia being such a go-through-the-motions program at the time, and Tennessee playing – Guys, this is going to be the biggest November home game Tennessee football has ever played. Y'all heard that here first. Yeah, I think you're right. The biggest November. Yeah. Yes, the biggest November home game Tennessee has ever played. Try to find a, a bigger one. Uh, you got my thinking face on. I'm your huckleberry. I think you're right. Um, yeah, I'm trying to go back. What Was that Notre Dame game in the early 90s? Was that that was in November, but this is going to be this bigger. This is an SEC, the SEC game. Yeah. on the line. Yeah, I mean, and a potential national title on the line, and an SEC title on the line. Yeah, this is bigger. Um, it's bigger. Yep. And it Last time a game was this big was Kentucky 1950 with Bear Bryant going to Bristol. Nasty and history so, by my man Caleb Calhoun. This is the biggest November home game, and Tennessee fans are going. To, the crowd is going to be electric. Georgia won't be as motivated as they were this past year because they had it. They wanted to humiliate Tennessee after all the talk Tennessee did last year. And I'm telling you, Tennessee is going to take it because of all of that. I am super boring because uh, we've got them beating Vanderbilt, I'm sure, in the last game of the season. So I've, I'm super boring. I've got Tennessee 10 and 2 sneaking into the college football playoff with two losses and not having to play in the SEC championship game. So. I'm boring, but I want to ask you before we get to predicting the SEC standings, and I guess I've kind of given my mind away a little bit. What game that you pick Tennessee to win do you feel the least good about? Well, before I get there, since you gave away that you got them going to the college football playoff with two losses and losing, you have them finishing 10-3, and three, losing in the playoffs. Oh, yes, I wasn't counting the, the playoff. Go ahead. I've got Tennessee going – 12 and 2. They're going to go 11 and 1 in the regular season. They're going to lose the SEC championship game and then they're going to go back to the Orange Bowl, a New Year's Six Bowl this year, but not a playoff game. And they're going to win the Orange Bowl for a second straight year to finish 12 and 2 because the highest ranked SEC team not in the playoff is tied to the Orange Bowl this year since the Sugar Bowl's in the playoff. Okay. So Miami's not a bad place to go. That would be a good season. Some people wouldn't be happy if Tennessee didn't make a step in the college football playoff, but that's still two heck of back seasons. Back to back. I will tell you the one I don't feel best about or I feel worse about than any of the others that I picked Tennessee to win. And that is Kentucky. Um, you know, with, with, with Kentucky, I think they're going to be a better football team because they're not going to hitch their wagon. It will have us. And it's the week after you play Alabama and you're usually banged up and it's in Lexington. So out of the wins, victories that I picked for Tennessee, I've got Kentucky as the one that I feel least good about. Well, because I went out on a limb, I, mine's pretty obvious on which one I feel least good about, and it would be the Georgia one. <laughs> if you had to tell me Tennessee's going to lose one of the games I picked them to win, it would be Georgia is where I would go. But, I mean, but if I, Oh, I got you. Okay, so you picked them. I got you. I follow. Yeah, since I picked them to beat Georgia. But if we throw out the Georgia one, I'm probably with you on Kentucky. It's Kentucky or Florida to me. I, I think Florida's bad. I just think that being a night game is it is is a little scary. And if Florida can somehow sneak a, sneak a win against Utah, 
I mean, then they're going to be real. That that if if Florida beats Utah, how raucous is that stadium going to be when Tennessee comes to town, Dave? It's going to be pretty raucous, isn't pretty it? Pretty darn raucous. Uh, pretty darn raucous. Here we go. Our picks for the SEC East, the SEC West, and who wins the conference before. It gets bigger, and it's about to do that with Texas and Oklahoma, and then things go crazy. Um, in the SEC East, I've got Georgia winning the East. I've got uh, Tennessee finishing number two, followed by Kentucky over South Carolina. Still not sold on the Gamecocks. And then Florida at number five. Vanderbilt at number six, and Missouri at number seven. So... You know how I feel about the Tigers. What about you in the East? All righty. So on my end, um, I've got Tennessee winning the East. That's right. Since they're going to beat Georgia, guys, Tennessee is going to win the East. Look at it. I've got Georgia finishing second, Kentucky finishing third, Dave's favorite program in all of the SEC, Missouri. They're going to finish fourth. (laughs) Yes, they're going to finish fourth. Yes, Vanderbilt is going to finish fifth. That's a marked improvement from Vanderbilt last year. And they might push for a bowl this year. Watch out. South Carolina is going to finish sixth. South Carolina has Spencer Rattler, but they also have a horrible offensive coordinator. And Spencer Rattler needs a good offensive coordinator. South Carolina has one of the worst offensive coordinators in the SEC. And that's going to knock them to six. And yes, Florida is going to finish last in the East this year. I think Florida is in really, really Really big trouble, Dave. Yep. No, I do too. Uh, let's go with the West. Uh, we both okay. have LSU beating Alabama, which would have sounded we do. crazy right before Brian Kelly got hired, but we both think a lot of him as as a coach. Uh, that program's continuing to grow, and Alabama seems to be trying to reinvent itself and not sure about which quarterback they're going to play last I heard. Have you heard of an announced starter at this point? They don't have an answer. And now it's possible Nick Saban is employing gamesmanship, but Saban never struck me as the type to do that. Did he strike you as the type to do well, that? Well, he's not going to come out and say, Guy X is starting. Why would you? I mean, I wouldn't. I, I don't understand. I, I wouldn't say Guy X is starting. So he may yeah. know if that's gamesmanship, but there's just, if you consider that gamesmanship, then yes, I think he would do that. I just consider that him basically saying that, why would I tell you? Um, it may be a mobile guy, maybe a guy that's better with his arm. Why would I give you any insight to that? So LSU, we know. And the reason I picked LSU over Alabama is primarily the quarterback situation. Jaden Daniels, probably the best quarterback in the SEC. So I had to go with him. A very fluid runner. I think he's going to win a game for LSU that he shouldn't. So I've got uh, LSU followed by Alabama, Texas A&M, Auburn, which may be a little bit higher than yours at number four. Ole Miss, I, you know, I built a relationship with Lane Kiffin, so I, I hope I'm wrong, but I've got a, just a weird feeling that the wheels are going to start to come off there because he has tried so hard to get more NIL money to compete with other SEC schools, and it's not there. I think at some point he gets disgruntled. I think at some point you've got the – the, the boosters there are going to di- get disgruntled that he keeps asking for more money. And he even tweeted something to that effect uh, recently about how important NIL is. And the money's just not there at Ole Miss. So I wouldn't be surprised if this is the year the wheels start to come off for Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. I hope not. Um, 
yeah, he's but but he'll be fine. I saw his tweet on National Girlfriend Day, and it, he seems to be doing well. And I think she's old enough to buy alcohol. Arkansas <laughs> at number six. Do you like how I worked that in there? Uh, That's a good one. Arkansas at number six. I love Sam Pittman, don't we all? He's kind of like the Santa Claus of the SEC. But at the end of the day, what they do ain't terribly complicated. They're not going to be able to score points with a lot of teams in the SEC that run spread type stuff. So I got Arkansas at number six and Mississippi State at number seven. How do you – are we exactly the same? And we did this – No, we're, we're – we're different. Okay, so you're um, looking at mine. Scroll, scroll down so he can see yours. And if you're watching uh, on the uh, audio channels, we've got it pulled up. Be sure and get on YouTube and hit the subscribe and like button. Guess who we get to visit with tonight, by the way, in the Celebrate 98? David Leverton, who will talk about his greatest play ever was tackling Peter Warwick in the Fiesta Bowl. It wasn't a punt. wasn't downing somebody inside the one. It was tackling Peter Warwick when he was going to score in the Fiesta Bowl. So your SEC West looks like what? All right, so I'm, I'm with you. LSU is going to beat Alabama. So LSU is going to finish first in the West, and Alabama will finish second. Dave, you thought you were high on Auburn? I got Auburn finishing third. And I think Hugh Freeze is an absolute terrible person, but I got Auburn finishing third. I'm so high on Auburn, I'm not writing them off beating Alabama in the Iron. I'm not either. I'm, yeah, yeah. So and we really, I, and I, really, I, to all the listeners, we did this independently and didn't even talk about it. So we're both high on yeah. Auburn which means we're both very right or very wrong. Um, right, exactly. You had Ole Miss fifth. I've got them fourth. I see what you're saying with Lane Kiffin, but I still trust him as a game player, and if he gets the right people, and I think the, I think he's good enough to – I think Lane Kiffin will keep Ole Miss good enough to make sure they beat up on the bottom half of the SEC always. No. And so that's enough wins for them to the, their fourth. I'm with you, Arkansas fifth, Mississippi State sixth. The only difference that me and you have pretty much is um, – you got Texas A&M finishing third, and I am wheels come off Texas A&M. They finished seventh. I'm, I'm saying maybe three and nine. And I totally wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't bet a single dollar on it uh, right now. There's other bets I would make with Zen Sports. Use the promo code HOOKED, H-O-O-K-E-D, all caps. And then this question from David, who gets fired first this year, Napier or Jimbo? I'll say neither gets fired this year. But Jimbo will be fired after the – he might be this year because they did the – you know they do the coaching purge like right before they fire you where they make you go out and get another coordinator on one side of the ball or replace your staff. That's why David Cutcliffe got fired from Ole Miss as he refused to do that. So, wow, let's take out this year. Who gets fired first, Napier or Jimbo? It's Jimbo. He's got I the think big Texas guy out, Caleb. I think – there, Texas A&M has got the second largest NIL collective in college football, only to Tennessee. I think they're going to cobble the money to buy out Jimbo Fisher, and they just they they can't. And I think Florida is going to. I think Napier, I, even though I think Florida is going to be awful this year, I think that leaves it open that whether or not Napier gets fired. I talk to a lot of people at Florida. Dave, you talk to a lot of people, more people at Florida than I do. The sentiment around Florida seems like everybody seems to understand that Napier's doing what he can, but it seems like the people surrounding Napier are messing things up. You know, the NIL, stuff like that. It seems like there's so many other problems, and I think Florida's administration is going to understand that. 
So I think they're going to give him a little more of a chance. I think he stepped into a mess like Derek Dooley stepped into a mess like Butch Jones stepped into a mess. Now, they're not great coaches, and I don't think Billy Napier is a great mm-hmm. coach, but I think he stepped into more of a mess than he thought he had, and he would probably like to take it back. Look at my guy here, Michael Bush. We appreciate you being a part of the program. Be sure and hit that like and subscribe button. Oh, one Florida was a big late-season game in response to what Caleb said, the biggest November game ever was Georgia this year. That's not what I said. Michael Bush, you need to listen to no, what no, I said. No, no. I said wait, the big- you're still right. That game was in December. Yeah. That game was in December. I know That's because I got a I, they sent me to cover Florida that week, and I got a phone call on Monday night shortly after my flight land where my wife said, I got to tell you something, but I think uh, I should wait till you get home. And I said, well, you're pregnant. I figured it out. And so I had to spend the whole week down there as the only Tennessee reporter Basically, me and Andy Staples was the only other person I knew. And knowing that I had my first child coming on the way the whole week. And uh, that was not my best week of coverage, Caleb. I could have, I mean, that, that, that's totally I was a little distracted, happy, sad. And, and look at this. I'll show you this. So my daughter. Got- wait, wait. I still have to correct Michael real quick. I said biggest late season home game. I didn't say biggest late season okay. game because the SEC championship part's a big. Well, late but you could game. you could change it to biggest November game ever. Biggest, it, it, I don't know if it's the biggest November game ever though. Tennessee has had some big November games on the road. They just have never had a big one at home. So can I tell you real quick what I did when I got the call from my wife that she was pregnant? I uh, got sure. a big bottle of Maker's Mark, and coincidentally for Father's Day my daughter who hates kid rock wanted to make a statement by getting me a kid rock album. So I'm holding it up now. Cause I keep it close to me. I went and bought this album, sat in the rental car, drank maker's mark, scared to death out of my mind and jammed kid rock in the parking lot of the hotel. That's what I did. That's actually kind of hilarious. <laughs> That's hilarious. I was scared to death. All right. The kid rock, the guy who said, I'm going to shoot Bud Light and then is now drinking Bud Light everywhere. Just doesn't want to get caught doing it. Yeah, uh, pretty much. And by the way, I, t- I talked to somebody who went to a show of his, and they had Trump start off with a little pep talk to get the crowd rallied. And no matter how you feel about Trump, this is pretty corny. He said, let's make America rock again. Wow. Mara, cheesy. Mara. Cheesy. Mara. Cheesy. 90 seconds why Netflix is suddenly a PR agency for the University of Florida with Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. Candace, I was, I was really heavy into the drug culture. Um, I was selling drugs. I was just constantly in pain. I was missing like a good support system in my life. Candace has given me everything that I need in order to successfully have a wonderful recovery, in order to have a life that I didn't even know was possible. And it's not just about me anymore. And I love that. I absolutely love it. You can take your life back. Call Cadis today. With all that sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. 
Sports Treasures in North Knoxville is one of the South's largest sports cards and memorabilia dealers, featuring over 10 million sports cards from vintage to modern. Sports Treasures carries a full line of hobby boxes, singles, autographed memorabilia, Tennessee ball collectibles, fan cave decorations, and so much more. See a museum full of collectibles at Sports Treasures, 4819 North Broadway in Fountain City, and Sports Treasures on Facebook. Sports Treasures, where the real sports fan goes to shop. What the? What was he thinking? Release the hounds. The Dave Hooker Show. Keep cool. A presentation of OffTheHookSports.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Caleb and I were kind of excited about that Swamp Kings thing on Netflix. And that was just awful. And... The first word out of Urban Meyer's mouth was what? Can you tell me what it is again? I can't. I keep. I want to say integrity. It was. It was like. It was like a SNL skit. He said discipline. Yeah, he said discipline. He complained about the discipline of Florida when he got there. Yeah. So the only thing I took out of that, I couldn't make it all the way through. They released all four, and I want to twist this a bit into how fans might react especially on our message board so the one thing i thought was cool was the uh the basically the wrestling drill where you got on top of another guy and his job was to crawl i've never seen that drill before in my life did you see that part of it did you stick through that yeah um boy that looks really hard i mean there were guys vomiting and that whole nine yards so but they didn't mention the aaron hernandez murders uh they didn't mention cam newton stealing laptops and thrown out a window, if I remember correctly, got kicked out of the program. Uh, They just barely touched on the Ronnie Wilson AK-47 issue where he shoots a gun up into the the sky. Uh, Chris Rainey, no mention of him texting his girlfriend, time to die. Uh, Heavily features Brandon Spikes with no mention of his attempt to uh, gouge a player's eyes out. Doesn't even question the phoniness behind the Urban Meyer stress narrative, which that was. But let me ask you this. The average SEC fan, would they take that right now to win two national titles? Would they take all that crap, for lack of a better term? Would they take all that to win two national championships? Yes. And who can blame them? I mean, I have to be. We have. We have to be honest here. Look, we we're, we're. I don't think anything lowly of these people's character, but it ain't like the '98 Tennessee team didn't have a lot of people getting in trouble too. That '97 '98 period. Um, I mean, they did afterwards, especially. Yeah, there are. I mean, look, we have to we have to bring this up, and we and and, and I'm not judging the person, but there are two people that have gone on our celebrate 98 series that have had some serious, serious traffic incidents that have been involved in Leonard little the year before was involved in a very, very serious fatal traffic accident. 
Jamal Lewis went to prison for four months, I believe. Travis Henry is in trouble for unpaid child support or something, something like that, isn't it? Yes, he's um, but like, yeah, yeah, that there are a lot of issues that were on that 98 Tennessee team as well. Now, I don't think the sociopathy was there that was on those Florida teams. Florida did not care that they were this way. And I think that was a little bit of the difference is it was, but yeah, no, there were, there it's, I, I think every SEC fan would take it. Heck, and I can't blame it. I think every college football, every college sports fan would take it. You think 86 Mets fans care about how bad their team was? Oh no. And those dudes were cutting heads off cats. And yeah. um, you know, Kevin Mitchell. Do you care about the 95 Cowboys Dave? Wasn't it worth the three Super Bowls? I will be honest with you. That crossed the line. And here, here here's the argument I want to make. The 95 Cowboys team was so out of line and so crazy and so insane. And the lack of discipline showed up on the field that I almost rooted for the Steelers in that Super Bowl. Almost. And I'm a diehard Cowboys fan. And I, I they they did the onside kick. They they had a really good group of guys. I have a lot more respect for uh, Bill Cower than I did Barry Switzer at the time. So if you're going to ask me as a guy that graduated from the University of Tennessee and you're saying, hey, Dave, you can have this. You can have all these troubles and Tennessee's going to win two national championships, which is going to be great for your business, and it would. Or you can, you can take your chances with Josh Heupel. And he might not win one. He might not win an SEC title. I'll be honest with you. I would take my chances with Josh Heupel. I like the fact that when I talk to Cooper, and that's on our YouTube channel, The Ball Report with Cooper Mays, I like the fact that he said, and he kind of hinted around this, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, that the coaching staff cared about him. It's an injury that perhaps another coaching staff would have said you can play through, get it done, get through the season. They didn't do that. And I've got an awful lot of respect. It sounds like kissing up if I were to tell Josh Heupel that, but I've got an awful lot of respect for that culture. And I remember when I went to somebody at the University of Tennessee and I said, I want two players to work with, and here are my three criteria. I want a starter, I want a good talker, and a guy that's not going to get arrested. Well, this was when they're coming off Jeremy Pruitt, and the person said that might be difficult. As it turns out, it hasn't been. Jacob Warren's been fantastic. Cooper Mays has been fantastic. If you come to Tennessee and you get in trouble, we've seen that before with the running back that transferred in in August with some other players, you're pretty much out the door really quickly. And we've seen one significant issue with a a significant player and Jalen McCullough. And there's so much gray area there that maybe he didn't do anything wrong. I'll take this. I'll take this. Okay. Would you, would you take it from a fan's perspective or a journalist's perspective? All the above. Okay. From a journalist's perspective, I'm going to be so selfish. I would take the urban Meyer six years and won the national championship journalist to be able to cover stuff like that. I don't know, man. That's, when stuff gets hairy like that, it it's really contentious. It can it can cause a lot of stress in your life. I mean, I was around for the 2005 season, the 2008 season, and I was and that had to coach. be and, and 
it's but if if you're doing what we're doing and we're trying to grow a show and the program we're covering is going through what Florida went through with Urban Meyer, national championships gets you coverage and that level of and by the way, the thing is, guys, if if Tennessee was doing what Florida was doing in the mid in the mid to late two thousands, if they start doing that and we're covering them, I know it would be good for our show because I know Dave and I would be the first people to call it out every single day on the show. We wouldn't do what this documentary did, which was, and, and by the way, then Dave and I would have gold for our own documentary like 10 years later and we would do it right. And yeah, so, it, the whole thing was just an embarrassment and it makes me not want to watch anything that Netflix produces in terms of sports content ever again. And I don't know if they know that they're probably tone deaf to that, but I would highly suggest watching winning time that we all know is loosely based on facts about the Lakers or go watch the Bill Walton documentary, which was phenomenal. And you, we forget about that. I'm older than you, but even my age and your age, you forget about how great Bill Walton was in college, one of the top five players of all time, and would have been one of the top 50 players easy in the NBA if he didn't get hurt. Go watch that. Don't watch Swamp Things or whatever. Rank propaganda for Urban Meyer. That's Amen. what this was. And, and he's sitting there, and the, the, the off-putting thing is he's sitting there in shorts, and I knew from the get that this was going to be a puff piece. He's sitting there in shorts like he walked off the golf course. He okayed the interview. When I even just saw him being interviewed, I was like, this is going to be a puff piece. And the, this would have been like one of the best 30 for 30s I ever watched was the one on the SMU scandal in the 80s, the Pony Excess. Could you imagine if they did a documentary on those SMU programs and didn't mention that they got the death penalty or that they didn't pay players or get in trouble for it? That was this Florida. That was this Florida documentary. Yeah, this was about the greatness of that team. This was not about the faults of that team. Let me yeah. ask you this. Who's the worst person head coach in the history or since you've been covering the SEC? Is it Urban Meyer? Easy? Who's even second? Worst person to be a head coach? Yes. Uh, he's in the SEC right now and he's Hugh Fury's. Like Hugh Freeze is a horrible, horrible human being. You would take you take Urban Meyer over Hugh Freeze, right? No, because of what I've told you that Hugh Freeze has been accused of doing at Briarcrest. I've never heard of Urban Meyer doing anything inappropriate with somebody underage. I'm just going to leave it at that. And that's true, but he fostered in some ways Aaron Hernandez's malfeasances that led to that's death. true. And let's not forget there was also this coach at Penn State who might be the worst and biggest fraud in the history of college football coaches who knew there was a pedophile on his campus and just did not care. And at the same time, would chant victory with honor after every win. You know, yeah. gotta love that one. It's elite company, Urban. So Sorry, I will say this much. from I, I, to be fair, there are a couple of interesting things if you guys want to watch it, if you guys want to torture yourself. The most interesting parts of it, and I told Dave this off, off camera, it does bring up Tim Tebow and how close he was to committing to Alabama. Dave, how much does the landscape of college football change if Tim Tebow commits to Alabama and not Florida? Uh, it changes tremendously. Urban, first of all, they go to more of a spread look, I think, earlier. They don't wait for Lane Kiffin. And I think Urban Meyer gets fired at Florida. I, don't, I think if he didn't get Tim Tebow – he was on the outs. They all, the thing was so stupid too. They all, he also said, "Well, I was at this diner, and this guy came up and said, hey, have you thought about uh, recruiting this Tim Tebow guy?' Like he hadn't heard about him. And he goes, oh, oh well, yeah, that was so oh, ridiculous. I'll look, I'll look into him. 
if you haven't heard of Tim Tebow by his sophomore year, you're just an imbecile. I knew about And they him. also – yeah, I, I did too, and you were covering – I wasn't even covering recruiting. I was just a college football fan in high school at the time. It was like he was the LeBron James of recruits at that time. Everybody knew about him as a sophomore. I think what drove me crazy too was this whole – they kept doing this thing like trying to explain the pressure narrative and just like, you know, how Flor- – like, like how something's unique about Florida where you have to win. And even my wife who watched it with me looked at me. She's like, isn't it this way at all college football programs? I'm like, the, yes. The elite ones, the top 25, yeah. Yeah. Eight or nine Everything. wins ain't enough. Exactly. And it's – and I and, and they made up this narrative that Urban Meyer was having this panic attack after going nine and three his first year. No, he wasn't. I remember that. Everybody thought Florida was headed in the right direction after Urban Meyer's first year. No one held it against, No one holds it against you for three losses your first year at a school. Nobody. He's a special piece of work. Um, I still think I still think he wants the Texas job. Oh, he does. He's don't, he's, don't be surprised if he's in, back in the SEC again, which is great content, great drama. I'll take it. And then a scandal will happen and he'll fake another health issue. And, you know, and I'm sorry, I firmly believe he's fake. Uh, I I think it was self-induced, fake or not. Um, Those esophageal spasms. I've I've had them and I think anxiety attacks are are real. So I don't want to throw him under the bus, but um, I think he was ready to get out. He couldn't handle the pressure. He saw the Nick Saban guy Mm -hmm. and that, that the second SEC championship game they played when he got his rear handed to him. Oh, and, you guys will laugh too with that because Dave, you might be in, you you might have already fallen asleep by this point. But they bring up the 2009 SEC title game where Alabama beat Florida, and they tried to say it was because of all the stress they were under that year that they just laid an egg and that even and they were actually the better team. No, they weren't. Alabama was the better team. Alabama had more talent, and anybody with eyes could see that. One close. I had a coach call me, and it, after the issues came out in which he had the health issues, and a coach called me, and he just was laughing. He said he does not have any health issues. He just realized that he is not ever going to be the preeminent program in the SEC as long as Nick Saban's around. And this coach is just laughing out loud because he's not really well-liked in coaching circles. Oh, yeah. And to bring it back to Tennessee, that was very obvious. I was watching Tennessee that year. You were covering them with Lane Kiffin. How many times did Lane Kiffin make it very clear that Alabama was his standard, not Florida? Alabama was who he wanted to model after. He constantly praised Nick Saban. And constantly shaded Urban Meyer. And I think that's because Lane Kiffin knew what was about to happen to Urban Meyer and Nick Saban. Yep. Good point. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. Please hit the like, subscribe, and share button. We want to be a part of what you do. Get those notifications on. David Leverton will join us for the latest in the Celebrate 98 series. And if you haven't been on offthehooksports.com for the written word, you're missing out. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. Again, I will remind you. Every Tuesday, John Adams. Every Wednesday, Jimmy Himes. Every Thursday, Josh Ward. Every Friday, Fred White. And a special guest maybe on a Monday as we'll be able to look back at the game with a former ball, but we'll get that nailed down before we announce that. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. This has been a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty. And luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChapaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChapaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.